Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey, everyone. Thanks for bearing with me here over the last couple weeks. I apologize for not being able to get a podcast out as I've been hunting in Colorado. I just got home. The trip itself was something like 18 days um, with like 14 days of hunting or something along those lines. But I am really excited to to start getting out the the day-by-day podcast. So as I kind of explained in uh, the last episode... I will be. I recorded a podcast every single night of the trip. So whenever I got back to the tent or the camp or whatever that may be, I recorded a podcast talking about the day, some of the encounters we had, you know, the things we struggle with, everything you could think of that was involved in the hunt to kind of bring you along on the journey. And it's it's uh it's a trial thing for me. I'm looking at doing um some also some daily hunt updates from whitetail season coming up here but uh, i can't wait to hear some feedback on it and i'm really excited for myself to relive it as i sit here and edit these podcasts but also for you to kind of come along on the journey and see how that went so there should be i think it's somewhere between 12 and 13 episodes that are going to roll out uh the only one i couldn't record at the end of the night was the last night of the trip or the, the, I guess the day before we packed out, I, I got really sick and really sick and wasn't able to, uh, talk. Actually, my throat was kind of swollen and I didn't really have a voice. I'm just kind of getting it back now. And I've been home for three or four days. So it's, uh, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm really excited to get those podcasts out and I'm, I'm not, so I'm not going to get into uh, some details of the trip here in the intro. going to kind of let that unfold through the podcast as it releases. So that'll be coming out on Monday and it's, it's, uh, I, th- I think it's going to be something that you guys like, but also to kind of give you a little bit of heads up here, what's going to be coming from East meets West here in the, in the near future, whitetail season here in Pennsylvania is about to open up and I've kind of changed gears a little bit here. Um, if, if you listen to some of my earlier podcasts, I talked about a, a job situation where I was going to be losing my job and that's coming to fruition now. And I will not be working, um, any longer for the company that I had been as, as an environmental and safety engineer. So I'd work down in the Pittsburgh area, but l- luckily enough, I was able to pick up a job, um, back home to help, you know, obviously fund a lot of these, uh, adventures and everything else that I'm doing. So I will be moving back to Northern Pennsylvania back kind of where I feel like I, I belong in the, in the Appalachian mountain region gets me a little bit closer to be able to, to do some of the hunts that I like to do. And I haven't really dug into a lot of detail on hunting mountain bucks, but that's kind of my bread and butter. So that that's perfect for me to be right back there. I won't have a, you know, a three hour drive in the weekend, driving through the night to get to these spots to essentially hunt for, you know, one day. And like it is with Pennsylvania only having uh Monday through Saturday hunting with uh, no Sunday hunting on either public or private land. So 
I'm really excited to do that, get some hunting in after work and everything else. In addition to that, some bigger trips kind of coming up. I will have a couple weeks off during the rut. So I'm going to be off, I think, from sometime in the end of October through the second week in November. And I hoped, I don't really have exact dates planned out yet, but I'll be hunting Pennsylvania until hopefully I fill that tag and then be able to travel to Ohio and hunt some of the Appalachian region there and some of the more mountainous counties and everything in Ohio. So there's a lot of things coming up here. Um, I've got some goals kind of set for myself coming into the year. So to be blatantly honest, I am the most underprepared that I've been for a whitetail season in probably the last three or four years. I have no tree stands set up, nothing. So with, with everything with this elk hunt and kind of my job changes and stuff here, I haven't been able to make it home or I guess um, up north where I where I am going to be hunting and it's uh I'm not really worried about it. I mean, early season I haven't had a ton of luck in the past, but uh, I'll be heading back there this weekend. Hopefully, get some couple stands up. Uh, there's some apple trees. I'm really gonna focus in on with some buck bedding relatively close that I'm gonna try to get in on, as well as you know just trail cameras checking those and getting them kind of moved to to some of the the rut locations and 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 uh letting them soak so i i don't like to check trail cameras a whole lot and don't like to be invasive with it but i am going to need to uh kind of see what's going on there there's a a certain buck that I, i've been hunting for the last four years now I, I made a bad shot on him in 2015, a buck that I've named Hercules, and to this at up to this point, has I've never talked about to anyone, and, and I won't go into a whole lot of details about him, but it's a uh, a very big old deer that so far this year has not shown up on camera. Usually up to this point, I've had him. Um, usually late summer, he comes in. And I'll get him on some trails, but uh, I have not picked him up yet. So it's a little bit, you know, unnerving, but either way, um, I'm not uh, extremely worried about it. But we'll see kind of what happens with the story with myself and and Hercules there. So I'll definitely go into a little more of that story in in a later podcast here. But otherwise, as far as my goals go, it's going to be the same as last year's. Um... And the year before is attempting to kill mature deer, whether that's on public, private land, or whatever, in Pennsylvania and Ohio. So that's uh, that's kind of what I'm what I'm looking at here, and that could mean that that sometimes in Pennsylvania that could be a 120 inch eight point, or you know, hopefully it's a Hercules who's quite a bit bigger. But either way. I'm really excited and to get back in the Appalachian region, hunt some of those mountain bucks and, and really get back into it. So there's there's a lot of things coming from that side of things. Going to try to get some content out, talking to some guys that are hunting in these type of regions and showing the, you know, the opportunities that are possible to anyone to hunt. Maybe a little bit closer to home if you uh, can't get the time to, you know, go out west or, or whatever else that may be. So really excited to to get into that 
So with that being said, kind of changing gears a little bit, uh, Rutstash, the hashtag Rutstash shirts are live. They are in stock and shipping now. Been really happy with how these things turned out. They're next level shirts, so they're 50% polyester, 25% rayon, 25% cotton blend. So the tri-blend, very soft, uh, have a little bit of moisture wicking capabilities, but for the most part, it's a lifestyle shirt that is definitely going to grab some attention. So hoping to uh, have a little bit more along the lines of the, the rut stash and doing a, a sort of a contest here coming up that I think will interest some of you that have been following along with it. With that being said, one last thing, and I just kind of want to see, I want to get some more feedback from everyone. What, uh, you know, what do you guys want to hear going forward here? There's some things I want to do based off the Colorado trip from a, a gear perspective, a gear breakdown, kind of talking a little bit about some of the stuff, what worked, what didn't. And I'm not really sure if now is the right time to do that or if I should, if I'm going to wait till after the whitetail season to kind of recap on some of that stuff. But uh, either way, I want to hear what what uh, you guys are looking to hear about when it comes to, you know, adventure hunting, the gear aspect, that the planning, whitetails, whatever it is. I, I want to hear about it and, you know, see what we can talk about going forward here on the podcast. But uh, I don't want to keep this intro going any longer because I have a pretty long podcast here with a good buddy of mine Clint Campbell that you're about to listen to and Clint is actually the podcast host of the truth from the stand deer hunting podcast and Clint's an absolutely great guy we recorded this podcast all the way back at the total archery challenge and the information there is still relevant we get into some deer talk which is again kind of new to the, the whole podcast experience but really want to, going forward here, start digging into some specific topics and getting to the detail. Up to this point, we've done a lot of you know high-level overview of things, and I think that's important to kind of to get things going and kind of create a basis. But I really want to get into some topic-based stuff and dig into that. So look forward to some of that stuff here, and be sure to check out the website for the podcast, any of the apparel stuff, um, just about all of our stuff. I think all of it's in stock now. So the Adventure hats, Appalachian hats, as well as the Arrowhead tees and the, the brand new hashtag Rutstash shirts are up and live on the website. So check those out and let's get to the podcast with Clint. All right, we're back with the East Meets West Hunt Podcast at the Total Archery Challenge. We have some sun peeking through the clouds here. Finally. and Yeah, it is finally. We just got through a pretty good rainstorm here. And I'm sitting next to Clint Campbell from the Truth From The Stand podcast. Yes, sir. So, Clint, let's tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, I like long walks on the beach. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm I'm okay. I don't I don't need a free breakfast no, right I, now. I'm good, thank you. No, I'm good. I'm really good. Thank you very much. No, I understand. I appreciate it, but I'm appreciate good with the, without a free breakfast sandwich right now. We should totally keep that. Oh, we are keeping. Oh yeah. That. yeah. <laughs> so anyone out there that needs a free breakfast sandwich, if uh, if you are, are in need, Seven Springs might have your hookup. 
head over to the the grill, and if you go anytime after five o'clock p.m., you will get a free you will get a free sandwich. sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was great. Yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> um, Anyways, so anyway, back to back to hunting. Um, you know, so for me, it's like I didn't get into archery until until later. Um, I grew up in, in farm country, hunting heritage. You know, PA, as you know, you know, you're from Pennsylvania. You know, hunt, hunting's a big deal around here. You know, um, you kind of grow up as a birthright. You know, as you get close to that you know 12th birthday it's something you look forward to especially if you're a dude you know it's like you're going to go out with your uncles your grandfather you know and you know your your cousins and stuff like that it's a big deal um you know so that was kind of what i grew up in and it wasn't until you know i was i think i was 29 maybe and maybe 30 my wife and i had moved back from orlando we had lived in orlando and i went on a spring or a, a fall turkey hunt and went with my father-in-law and some of his buddies and we had some drinks the night before, and I might have been a little worse for wear the next morning. And I may or may not have found a soft piece of moss to pass out on in the turkey woods that, <laughs> that day. <laughs> I woke up, you know, and, and, and just so happened to be some deer that I was watching. And and they were, it was in the during the rut, of course, or pre-rut, rather, yeah. you know. And they're chasing each other, and I, and I had always heard about it, but I'd never seen, like, rut activity before. And so I had seen that, and I had not ever known really deer movement and activity outside of being scared and running during rifle season. So that was the first time I had really seen like natural deer activities yeah. to a degree. Right. And I was just like, that's amazing. You know? And so from that point forward, I was like, I gotta, I gotta be a part of that, you know? And so from that moment I was like, all right, what do I got to do to start bow hunting? And so I picked up a bow, I started shooting and my first year that I went out, I shot with a, used a recurve, you know, cause I'm a, all or nothing kind of guy. Yeah. So I was like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to go all in, you know, which I quickly learned was maybe a bad choice. So uh, it wasn't one of the, one of the things you wanted a full send right off the bat. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I then, you know, moved to a compound of course, and then been hunting ever since, um, you know, with, you know, archery hunting or whatever. Um, you know, and so then I kind of grew from there and that was on a family farm. And then, you know, one of the things that really piques my interest is, you know, just in, in general, in, in life, I like challenges, you know, so I like to try to meet, find new challenges and, and meet them, you know, regardless of what they are. Sometimes they're business endeavor challenges. Sometimes they're, you know, uh, you know, academic challenges, learning something new, you know what I mean? And then sometimes it's physical challenges, right? And for me, hunting kind of gives me the academic and the physical challenges at the same time. Um, especially, you know, as you know, when you're traveling to different places to hunt and you're encountering new terrain, you're encountering new habitat, you're encountering new hunting culture that can be part of that challenge as well because you're trying to figure out how these folks hunt is it going to be conducive to how you like to hunt or do you have to adapt based on what people are going to do around you you know so it wasn't long that i started archery hunting that i kind of started looking for opportunities to start to extend archery beyond just like the places that i knew you know um so then i started looking out you know looking for more public land to hunt you know so that was one of the things i started you know searching for and then it was starting to go to ohio and going to some new states and stuff like that and then you know so that's been something that i've done for like the past couple of years um last year was a brutal hunt and we can talk about that more in more in depth as like a as a segment i guess but um that was a tough hunt i've had some success out there and then last year was also another step, you know, in, in, in challenging myself in, in going out and doing a Western hunt and doing an elk hunt. It was elk, mule deer, and whitetail combo tag, mm-hmm. uh, but really focusing on elk and, and mule deer. And that was two weeks DIY with a couple buddies, all public land and BLM land. 
um for two know, weeks though for two weeks that's nice um yeah and uh it was a good group of guys that we went with we brought meat back we had a couple great encounters a couple opportunities i was at full draw on a couple different animals um so it was awesome you know and it was just one of those things where you go out and you rough it yeah. you know um it's hard some days you hate it you know what i mean when you wake up and it's fuck and you know i'm sorry i cursed on your podcast you're fine <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, it's not pg it's not pg you're fine cool. you can say um, whatever you want and uh <laughs> and uh you know some days you, you curse it you know because you wake up and it's it's wet out yeah. you know and you're you're wet all day and you're gonna hike 15 miles and then the next day the temperature drops 40 degrees and it's snowing and it's just like and that was the craziest thing with that hunt was you having to try to plan for almost every season within yeah. two weeks. Within one day, most of the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, and that was one of the most challenging parts was just trying to, like, stay, like, trying to keep, because, like, hunts when you go places that you don't, that you're not intimately familiar with the land is mentally taxing because everything is new, so you're on kind of hyper alert. You know what I mean? Like, you're trying to take everything in. Like, everything is a, a data point. You know what I mean? And that's hard enough to do, right? And then add on the layer of the challenge of the the terrain, the elevation, the miles that you're going to put on. That's an additional challenge, right? And then layer on top of that, that your weather is going to be inconsistent and change almost on the hour, you know, or can, right? So you kind of have to prepare for all of that, you know what I mean? So it's, you know, the toughest day there, we did 15 miles in eight inches of snow, at 11,000 feet and it was one of the only times I've had like just a little bit of fear while I was hunting because I couldn't get warm because you don't want to hike in heavy because you'll sweat right yes and as soon as you start sweating and it's that cold you know it's like then you're in you have potential trouble right especially you know it was four miles in just to get to where we wanted to start to hunt you know and it's not it's not as easy to be able to say, okay, so you're in Pennsylvania. I'm gonna get out of my tree stand and walk back, back to the truck. truck. I'm cold, I'm gonna go home, yeah. I'm gonna eat a hot, you know, dinner. Yeah. It's not no, like that. Not happening. <laughs> you know what I mean? So we get in so far and I, I just thought if I would hike I would start to warm up, but it just wasn't happening. Like I was so cold. And it was one of those things going through my mind, I was like, This is how people die out here. I was like where I didn't put the right clothes on. It's colder than I thought it was going to be. Um, it's still kind of snowing on and off, so I'm getting wet while I'm out here. Um, and it was, you know, the thought had crossed my mind where I went through like the mental checklist really quick, be like, okay, I've got matches. I can start a fire. You know, it's like, okay, I can probably find dry wood here if I need to, you know, and you start kind of going through that, that Rolodex of like, if I have to, if things get real, can I take care of myself? You know what I mean? And that was the, I guess the coolest thing about hunting out there is that that kind of stuff can happen in an instant, you know? Oh, it can it can happen a lot quicker than you think. It, yeah, I, yeah. I have had very similar situations where you wake up and you have a blanket of snow, probably about five or six inches. Is what I was looking at one morning, and well, in the middle of the night, we had a windstorm that I was first time using a floorless tent, right. and so I'm laying in there, and and my dad and I shared this this tent. So you know, you grow up, and in your whole life, you're like, you know, your dad's got you. He's keeping you safe. You know, you, right. whenever you're with him, you're fine. No matter how old you are, it's always that way. Yeah. We're laying in the middle of the night, and the wind's blowing so bad that the tent stakes start pulling out. And my dad looks at me, and goes, "What are we gonna do?" And I say, <laughs> "Oh shit! Like I'm done." <laughs> right. The old man doesn't know what to do. We're screwed. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, added some rocks to the the stakes the next day. And as soon as I got back, I bought different stakes that actually screw into the ground. I don't care if they weigh more. Right. I'm making sure that 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 
he does doesn't fly away. Let's right. put it that way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's just things can happen so quick. Yeah. And the one time I went to drop down a drop probably about six, seven hundred feet elevation to go down just right over this hill to get to this lake to fill up water. I'm like, I'm going real quick. I'm gonna leave my rain gear and everything up here, just take empty bag down to get water. Well, as soon as I got down there, it just started hailing and, and it was insane. <laughs> it comes out of nowhere. It does come know? out of nowhere, man. I mean, it's mm-hmm. the thing is, too, it's like you know, when you're out west, it's you know, it, it just changes drastically, like you said, like out of nowhere at any minute. But even when you're hunting whitetail, you know, in the fall, like that time of year, at least Pennsylvania, you know, is fickle too. You know what I mean? Where it's like you kind of get, you'll have those 70 degree days, you know what I mean? And then all of a sudden, like the next day, it'll be like a high of 32. You know what I mean? So you're not getting the swing in one day necessarily, but even if you're doing a trip, you know what I mean? It's like you kind of have to pack and prepare to hunt from anything in from the 30s to possibly the 70 to, yeah. to the 70s. You know what I mean? Um, you know, I think the other thing that kind of the, the challenge, you know, that, that I enjoy at least is the planning part of it. You know what I mean? Is I geek out on that stuff. I, I, I'm right there with you, yeah, brother. <laughs> I, I love just kind of exploring, you know, and that's kind of where I start is just is online, you know, and I just start kind of figuring out, you know, everything. If I'm going to do a whitetail hunt, you know, and I'm going to go to, you know, the first time I was going to Ohio, you know, I just started looking at maps online and started reading articles about, you know, where are some good places to to find good whitetail, you know, and kind of setting my goals for what it is I want to experience, you know, and then try to figure out what areas are going to allow me to have that type of experience, you know, and then go from I, I like that, by the way, what not to interrupt you, but oh, yeah. about the experience. You're looking yeah. for, you know, what type of experience you want to have, and then you go from there on, you know, okay, now my expectations are going to be this caliber deer or whatever, but it right. just depends on what you're looking for. Maybe, you right. know, you're obviously if you're going to want to kill 180-inch deer, you're not going to hunt, you know, eastern Pennsylvania for right. the best odds, not saying right. that they're not there. But if, if you want, you know, a, a different experience, say, in hunting suburban deer, maybe you want to hunt, right. you know, around Philly or Pittsburgh or somewhere. Yep. But Yeah, no, that's 100% right, man. I mean, it's it, I always try to frame my adventures in terms of experience um, and not so much in terms of the kill, per se, yeah. right? Because as hunters, it's we lose more than we win, right? So if you're basing your experience and your the value of, of the experience based on the harvest – you're fighting a losing battle most of the time. You're going to walk away disappointed. And my goal when I go to do these things is not <clears throat> is is as much to harvest an animal as it is to learn something about myself and grow a little bit as a person. Hopefully, I become a better friend, a better husband, a better father because of some of those experiences that I have. So that's kind of how I guess when I look at the experience, like yes, I'm looking for the certain caliber of deer, and yes, I'm looking for these certain things, but I'm also looking to like have time for myself because that's the time I get alone. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, I truly appreciate those times. Like this year I went to Ohio, got skunked. I saw three bucks in nine days. I hunted from dark to dark for nine days. Um, and this is in Southern Ohio down where you get into like some West Virginia style mountains and stuff like that. So it was people. Yeah. So (laughs) it was, it was brutal, brutal terrain. Um, I saw three deer in nine days, all bucks, just no shooters. Um, but it was probably, one of the best hunting trips I've ever been on. And there was a couple couple reasons for that. And it was one, I spent it with a really good company. So I was with my buddy Chad. I think you, you know Chad. Yeah, Exodus. Exodus, yeah. Um, 
and uh, he's a great hunting partner, you know, and, and we were both grinding together and we'd never hunted together before. And we both kind of left that going like you can't really go and have that kind of hunt with everybody because it's really easy to get negative on those types of hunts. You know what I mean? Um, and so we learned that we were kind of built to be able to hunt together and, and have a good time. And then the other thing that I learned, too, was like I was going through a transition at work a little bit and had a lot of stress, you know what I mean? And this is getting a little deep necessarily, you know, no, no, keep but, going. you know, it's one of those things where as I was going, having this stress, cause I was considering leaving the, leaving, you know, the job that I was at and I was considering, you know, what, uh, what's my next move going no to be? No one's going to listen to this from work, are they? No, I don't work there anymore. Okay. So, okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so all we're all right. good. You know, and so I was thinking about all these things of like, what do I want to do? And, and is it even work related of what I'm doing now? Right. And the only time I recognize that I only get that time to really be with my own thoughts and think through things that way and have like true mindfulness is whenever I'm in a tree stand, right? Whenever I was elk hunting, that was a stressful hunt. It's yeah, a grinder. It is. You know what I mean? Because I, like I was mentioning, it's like it's mentally taxing because everything's new, especially because I'm not familiar with the territory. It's a new animal for me to hunt entirely, you know, so that's new. The terrain is different than I've ever hunted, so that's new. So it's just, it was a lot of stressors. Wonderful time, and I can't wait to do it again, right? But it wasn't one of those hunts where I could really, like, take it, take time and, like, decompress necessarily, right? It was a high-intensity hunt. Hunting whitetails is, like, you get to your tree stand, you climb in your tree, and then you're just kind of like, I'm going to sit here for 12 hours, you know? I've got a lot to think about. <laughs> i got a lot to think about, right? I can I can work through a lot of things. <laughs> I can figure, I can self-diagnose myself for a long time, you know? <laughs> Laugh, cry, everything all at the same time. Oh, you know? everything all at the same 12 hours. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. what I mean. <laughs> and so, honestly, it was like the first time that I had really recognized that that's what that opportunity was. And so, I did a lot of thinking, and in that time, I kind of figured out what some of the next things I wanted to do, not just hunting-wise, but like in life, what I wanted to do. Um, and it's weird cause you know, people will ask me, you know, why I hunt and that's a really hard question to answer. You know, I don't know that I have the answer yet for myself. I think I'm getting closer to it, you know, um, cause I think it, it's, it's, it's evolve ever evolving type of thing. But what I learned this past year is one of the biggest reasons that I hunt is because it allows me to find a place to go to that is a place to, that doesn't judge that allows you to to have moments of weakness and be okay and in that the wilderness is is unforgiving and will bitch slap you to correct you you know what i mean and i think and i think all three of those things are valuable and so whenever i look for an experience i'm not just looking for what animal i want to chase or harvest or caliber that of course goes into the criteria but i'm also looking for is like what's going to teach me more about myself that i have yet to, that i haven't uncovered yet yeah, it's funny. Uh, a, a buddy of mine and I we were working out together the other day, and he's heading to Montana. I'm heading to Colorado this this year, and uh, we were doing these hill sprints after we went through a workout. And the whole time he'd go up, he'd, he'd complain or something, or I'd complain. We'd kept saying the mountain doesn't give a shit, like because it doesn't, yeah. you know. Totally, <laughs> it does. It does not care. It will. And that was the one thing. It was the, the guy I used to work for, and I know this isn't necessarily hunting hunting related, but it is to a to a degree because when I did decide to finally leave his company, you know, he, he asked me out to have drinks. He wanted to talk to me a little bit. And so we went out and we started talking and he started really asking me about hunting, um, which was kind of, 
kind of interesting, right? Because that was what he wanted to know about me, was more about like why I hunt and, and, and all these things. And what I had explained to him was I was like that, you know, when you come into an office, no matter where you work, you know, just you know, working your normal nine to five or like there's all these judgments before you even get there, right? And there's all these expectations that people have of like who you should be, what you should be, you know. And when you go to the timber, just like you said it, you know, what I told him was, was that when you go there, it doesn't care if you're black, white, Chinese, male, female, strong, weak, vegan, vegan, not vegan, you know, uh, keto in my case, you know, um, you know, it doesn't care. It will, it will provide you the same opportunity to survive or perish all the same. You know, I was like, it's the great equalizer. You know, I was like, and that's for me why I like to run to it, you know, and that's why I find that I feel the most at home there is because I know that anything that I'm going to achieve or become is going to be through my own efforts, you know, and that to me is like when I start talking about like I'm starting to figure out why I hunt. It's of course, you know, it fits into my healthy lifestyle and how I like to eat and all those things. And of course, I like the act of studying the animals that I hunt and, you know, being part of their environment and taking part of their, of their home, you know, but there's that other emotional, you know, side of it for me that is becoming more and more important. I think as I get older, um, and as I recognize the value that it has for that too. So, so I, I like what you said there was, you're like, I don't know how to answer why I hunt because it's always evolving. And, and what, what makes, what reminds me of myself and what you said there is I never really felt like I had an extreme emotional attachment to it when I was younger, (laughs) when you were a kid, you know, you just did it because that's what you did. And, and, you know, I knew that I got the meat from it and everything, but after, you know, I got older and really started hunting and really started thinking and, you know, as I guess as my brain evolved too and uh, became more cultured to different environments out of my small town, you know, mind and got put in different places, I really started thinking about more of it. And I still, and to this day, I think even more and more, okay, you know, about how much it helps me in other portions of life. Oh, man. So, because yeah. like... Like you said, no one. When you go out there, there's no one. You don't have to worry about anyone judging you on that. But what you're what you're holding yourself up to is your own accountability on everything, and and you're going to fail. There's no doubt about that. Like you, you're going to fail, and you hope you always try to have you know a good attitude and not fail. I mean, that's I always try to go in with a positive mindset. But you learn so much from that, from elk hunting for two years, and. And I, I don't want to make it sound like it's really that terrible, but beating my body up, my mind up. I mean, there's times that I was just like broken down mentally and physically, and I'm just sitting in like this meadow, like all by myself. There's no sounds, there's no lights, there's no cell phone service, and it's just me. And you're just like, what am I doing? Like, <laughs> yeah. holy cow. Yeah. This sucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but exactly. Once you get, pa- that's what teaches you to get past the moments. Because life isn't always, you know, yeah. you know, you know, diamonds and and roses. It's just, it's not. So those help you push through that and, and get better. And I'm still evolving on that side of things. This will be my third year elk hunting, yeah. and I'm going to get it done this year. I mean, there's right. no doubt. But right, <laughs> especially with your mustache, but you take that thing along. Oh yeah, I, yeah. The rut stash is went 
it's kind of 365 now. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's you brought the rut stash into uh, the summer velvet into Velvet Fest. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. You got your velvet. That's what it is. You grew your velvet out, dude. I <laughs> know. <laughs> uh, I just had a really trashy beard, so I decided <laughs> I'd shave that and leave yeah. him a trashier yeah. mustache. Nice, <laughs> nice. But yeah, I, it's you're right, man. It's it's ever it's ever evolving, you know. And you and, and you you mentioned something there that you know I I think of often too. It's like I didn't have. Like you said, that emotional connection when I was a kid. I just knew that it was something I wanted to do, you know, and my dad did it. And it was just, like I said, you know, like I've said before, it's it was a birthright. I had no choice as to whether or not I was going to become a hunter. It was just, it was in the stars from the moment that I was kind of born, right, because of the family that I that I grew up in. Um, but as I get older, and I think you're 100% right, like as you get older, you start to appreciate things differently right you start to become less self-centered and you start to think about other people's feelings and interests and um how something you do might uh, <laughs> and anyone needs, anyone needs a ride on a ranger they did the same thing yesterday while i was recording did they really? like back and forth with greg and i but anyways <laughs> um you know <laughs> i'm getting high on the fumes right now it's like <laughs> the uh so I think, you know, as we get older, we start having this ability to to put ourselves in other people's shoes, right? And I think it's the same thing for the outdoors and hunting. It's like we can start to now put ourselves in the place of of the wilderness and of, you know, the animals that inhabit it, inhabit it um, and start to think about their perspective of the world that's going on around them that they have zero control over, right? And that's where, you know, important topics like conservation really kind of come into play because we have to have that ability, you know, to, 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 to think that way, to, become, to be the stewards we need to be for them, right? Um, and to me, that's just an evolution of, of, of a person, right? You know, I think if, if you don't start to get to that point where you start to care more about other things than yourself, then I would have... I don't necessarily wouldn't want to be friends with that person, right? I know those people exist, right? And we all know them, right? Yeah. But, you know, it's, uh, I think that that's a really sad place to be, you know, because now it's like as I, as I get older, it's like I find way more enjoyment. Like turkey season is a good example. I took a buddy hunting for, for the first time ever turkey hunting this year. Yeah. And I, turkey, I didn't turkey hunt one day for myself. Like I didn't carry a gun one day during the season this year. I took my daughter and I took a person who's never hunted before. And my goal is just to have them have hopefully an interesting experience to help give them an appreciation for hunting and hunters, especially my friend who's who's not a hunter. Yeah, uh, I, you were telling me on the phone about that, about yeah. that experience, getting ready for him to, to yeah. go out. So Yeah, it was cool, it was cool, man, because he'd never hunted before. He grew up in a non-hunting family, and he never thought – it wasn't that he didn't want to hunt. He just never thought he would ever get the opportunity to do it because – no one, he didn't know that he would ever have anyone to show him how. And so it was really interesting to watch just him like light up with that experience, right? Because it was brand new. How you and I seek something new maybe in going to hunt elk, right? Because we grew up in Pennsylvania. We've hunted a whitetail all of our life. I want something new that's going to make me light up like a Christmas tree again and re kind of invigorate, you know, or re stir up those feelings of why I love doing what I, what, what, you know, why I love hunting. And for him, it was like watching that, like that birth happen, like in that moment, right? It yeah. was like, you know, I'm watching him, like he's, you know, hearing a turkey gobble, and it's like 
you know, holy smokes. And then a, a fox came up like near us, like 20 yards away and like had no clue that we were there and was kind of like poking around. And he's never seen wildlife like that. That wasn't contained somewhere other than like birds. And maybe you saw something driving down the road, but like, that's a different experience being part of their, of their world as opposed to like a passerby, a passerby, yeah. you know what I mean? Being engulfed in it rather than like you said, just seeing it from, from afar through a glass, you know, window. Right. Exactly. So, you know, for him, he's all in, like he wants to, he would like to get into a tree stand with me this year, not necessarily archery hunt. Cause he knows that that's like a, he feels like that's a leap, you know? And I give him credit for recognizing that. Like, he's like, I don't want to jump into something that I might not be ready to like do. So well, without somebody like a mentor, yeah. let's say is yourself, that's a giant leap, giant leap to, yeah. to just get into hunting. There was a guy at work that brought up some interest into it and he's like, I'm just, you know, so overwhelmed. And, yeah. and uh, I told him, I said, anything you want with it, I can help, you know, teach you with it. If you're determined and want to do it, you know, we'll go through the steps, but it's just, it, it's, it's scary. If you don't have, you know, a family that you grew up in hunting it's tough to yeah. to jump you know ship and get on board with it people who do it that don't grow up in a hunting family i have a lot of respect for because that takes some that takes some initiative oh yeah cuz you have to seek it out you know it's like cuz i i ask myself sometimes it's like if i didn't grow up in a hunting family would i have ever hunted you know what i mean because yeah i have a lot of motivation now to go hunt and stuff like that because it's what i like to do but i also had a really easy en- entry point for it right um, I would like to think that I would, you know, but I don't know that I, I don't know a hundred percent that I would say that, that I would, you know, cause it's, that's a tough, I'm not a super, of course I have a podcast and stuff. So people think that I'm super outgoing, you know what I mean? Cause I, I talk in front of people often, but I'm not a super outgoing guy by nature. You know what I mean? So I'm pretty reserved and pretty kind of laid back, you know, I'm more the quiet person in the corner type of approach, you know, type of, type of thing. But you, when you get a microphone in front of you, you just karaoke, right? I just karaoke. Yeah, just, yeah. I just, just go with it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, so it was really cool. It was really cool to see that man, and I'm I'm looking forward to taking him goose hunting this year. So he, the next hunt for him officially is going to be a goose hunt th- this winter, which will be super cool. Awesome. But, yeah. Well, that that's pretty cool. So he's he's slowly going through the steps to. We got a license sale. We're helping run a hunter recruitment. Yes. So that's the that's the goal, right? That's the goal. So, that's the goal. Uh, yeah, Greg, Greg and I, when I had Greg Lissinger on the podcast, podcast here, we, him and I really dug into what, you know, what can we do personally to bring more hunters into it? And it was a really good conversation yeah. on it. And I think that's something that we, that, that we need to do because license sales, there's no doubt it's down. Yeah. You know, um, as much as we like to say, oh, our hunting spots are, you know, better. They're right. having to ourselves. That's not, right. you know, always the case. Here we but, go. Got our ranger back. Yep, we got some. If you hear some motor in the background, that's the that's the ranger running. Right. So. <laughs> Food courts closed. <laughs> no more free. You free missed sandwiches. the free breakfast sandwiches, yeah. guys. <laughs> the uh, but yeah, you know, hunter recruitment is. I just wrote an article. Hopefully, it'll be in a magazine coming up soon. Like hopefully, a magazine picks it up. But otherwise, I'll put it on the on the blog. But it's kind of talking through helping kind of you know bring hunters into the fold and. Um, you know, how important hunter recruitment is. I look at hunter recruitment, actually, I was thinking about it the one day, I was like, I almost think about it in the sense of like, you know, to make it simpler, for, because if people think that it's just like hard to find like the right person to take, right, it, you could do, use use your hunting skills, right, to, to pinpoint that person. I was like, finding a person to take hunting that might be ripe for a hunter to be recruited 
is the same way you would maybe find and pattern a deer, right? So that's kind of how I started thinking about it. Yeah, I've never thought of it that way. Right, because at first it's like you're really looking for an age class, an age structure, right? I was like, because youth hunting, while is important, it's an important long-term strategy for hunter recruitment, but it doesn't really do anything for us in the short term because they can't drive themselves anywhere. They can't purchase guns. They can't purchase bows, arrows. They don't have a job. They can't drive themselves to hunting ground to hunt and stuff like that. So that's really a long-term strategy to enhance or support us long-term. But in the here and now, it's like we're really looking for someone who's in their mid-20s to like mid to later 30s who has the means to get involved immediately, right? So that's the age structure that you're looking for, right? And the next thing is, is like you want to start looking at behavior and start patterning. Right, so, so if you find a deer that's the right age structure, so now you've got some trail cameras on him. You maybe scouted, you maybe seen him from the stand, right? And you're now starting to piece together the puzzle pieces of who is that person, right? Or who is that deer, right? It'll help. That'll help you kill him. Same thing with finding a, a, a hunter to recruit. It's like, all right, now that I know what age structure I'm looking for, what behaviors are going to make up the right person, right? And so you start thinking about what are some things that would lend that would be a main mainstream things that could easily funnel into hunting. Right, so it's the locavore movement, right? People wanting to eat local. It's the health movement of people wanting to eat, eat clean, healthy proteins, right? It's the um, the idea of, of things needing to be, you know, uh, uh, grain free, you know, gluten free, you know, etc. Right? There's also the thing that people are into, which is, you know, uh, the the experience of new food. So foodies, right? That's yep. that's a trend. Um, the other part is. You know, a lot of th- some things that people do in the city or in cities is, you know, we call it hunting. They call it uh, forest bathing where they just go sit in the forest. Right. So it's like if you start to look for these things, these are behaviors or patterns and people you can start to identify and say, like, look, they're the right age st- structure. They like to eat clean, healthy proteins. They enjoy the outdoors would be another one. Right. Like they like to hike, camp, you know, mountain bike, whatever the case might be. And then you say, oh, and they and they lead a clean, healthy lifestyle, right? It's like, well, that person, the only thing that they're not doing as part of that is carrying a, a bow into the woods. Yeah. You know what I mean? So so the barrier becomes a lot, a lot less steep to overcome, right? And so then... From there, it's just all about starting the conver- starting the con- starting the conversation. Really, you know what I mean? It's like then you start to figure out how do you start to approach the subject, you know, conversationally. And so maybe you start sharing some experiences about you. And that's the most important ha- recruitment tool we have is like, are the good hunters? And when I say the good hunters, I'm saying not yeah, the ones that kill the most things. You're talking about the right. I'm talking about people who have an appreciation for the the act of hunting the animals that they're chasing and the wilderness that they're you know encountering them in you know that there's an appreciation there that it's the right it's not the constant kill shot on the tv show type of hunting approach right it's the process if you can if you can get someone to buy into the process of the hunt you'll create a hunter for life if you've only enticed them with the five seconds of exhilaration at the end of the hunt, you're never going to create a hunter long-term. You're going to create someone who goes and sits in a tree stand for an hour, doesn't see anything, doesn't get to release an arrow, and then thinks hunting sucks, you know, and that doesn't do anything for us, you know. So I look at it, when you start thinking about hunter recruitment, I look at it in terms of patterning a deer. If I were going to pattern a deer, 
quote unquote like a hunter being so the what's deer. your success rate if it comes to like deer hunting versus i'm 100 percent right now <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Go. so I've, I've tried it one time and it's worked <laughs> you know so um you know it, it I'm, I'm making it sound like it's easy right and it's not i understand it's hard because you know i had the perfect person whose personality is just right like it's a buddy of mine his name's trevor he's just a super good dude and he's almost up for anything you know to try like any new experience um, and he's a really easy and going guy to talk to, you know, and he has no ego. Like he's self-confident enough that he's not offended if someone wants to try to help him do something. Cause that's the other part that you have to battle, right? Cause like you ask someone who's 37 years old, like, Hey, I could teach you how to hunt. And it's like, I don't need your help. You know what I mean? You get a little bit of that defensiveness, right? Um, so that's why I suggest you just kind of mine with like, you know, conversation about hunting just to kind of gauge. And when they, when they start to show interest and then share, your your harvest with them like that's the big thing man like you know you create hunters through their stomachs you know what i mean it's like share that that protein with them and and teach them you know give them recipes of how to prepare it and stuff like that and just get them engaged in the in the the sustenance that it provides and how awesome that is and then say because that's really what did it for my buddy trevor because i was sharing game meat with him and he was asking what a wild turkey tastes like and i said i don't know why don't we why don't i take you just kill your own Nice. That's a that's an awesome way of thinking about it, and and helps. You, so I hope you wrote that this all down in the article. Is that what your yeah, article is about? It's in, yeah, it's in the article. I didn't go all into the. Um, this is a one off for 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 the East meets West was the patterning piece of it. I actually thought of it. It was in the article, then got edited out. But <laughs> oh, okay. So this is a bonus. This is a bonus. Okay. Yeah, I gotcha. So, anyways, let's let's change gears a little bit. Sure. So. You're you're into whitetail hunting. Your podcast is for the most part about whitetails, yep. correct? Yep, whitetails, and then you know sprinkling in a little bit of western whenever you get toward you know, elk season. Essentially, yeah. you know what I mean. Yeah. So, um, what I wanted to get into with you is you was I think a couple years ago you said the first time you went to Ohio. Yeah, it was a uh, three years ago. I guess it'll be. Okay, so Ohio is quite a bit different, or well, at least where you were at in Ohio, is a lot bit different terrain than yep. what you're used to in uh, eastern Pennsylvania and western yeah. Pennsylvania, yeah. correct? Yeah, yeah, just so a little bit. Ex- explain a little bit about <laughs> that. It's kind of more of the terrain I'm used to personally. Yeah. But I, I love hearing when, when people, you know, go into that, you know, especially head first like you did. Right, yeah. So, you know, hunting the eastern part of PA, of course, it's a lot of low-lying areas, you know, because you're pretty close to sea level in, in that area um and so heading to you know well let me back up i guess for a second and then growing up where i grew up in pa like i'd mentioned was farmland but there there were some mountains there but i wouldn't say it's mountainous right there's a lot of ridges i would call them right and so headed out to ohio the first time i went out you know we were really kind of you know I, I went and kind of outlined what I was looking for the type of hunt I wanted to have and stuff like that and kind of pinpoint some places where I thought you know the caliber of deer and the caliber of hunt I wanted to have ultimately where this place would be able to provide and I was really looking at you know places to get away from people you know and the first thing you kind of think of is you know you got to go where people aren't willing to go and where are they not usually willing to go mountains right and climb climb terrain right so no that, agriculture right yeah so I actually went the opposite way of ag, you know, where there was ag, I, I drove the opposite way of that, um, and then was on basically a river bottom that had steep sides on, on either side. And I was like, this is the steepest place I can find, 
And so I think this is a good place to start, right? So that was really kind of my, my, my mindset going in. Now, before I got there, I wasn't quite sure how much I was getting myself into, you know, in terms of like the terrain and stuff like that. And it, you wouldn't think just from PA to Ohio that it's that much different, but it's like a different world in, in some regards, you know what I mean? The, the understory there was insane. Just the amount of brush and briar that you had to crawl through, even in a piece of timber that was like quote unquote open by the standards of that area were not open by the standards that I've encountered in Pennsylvania in most areas. You know what I mean? Um, it was a pretty nasty climb, a lot of deadfall. Um, but the hunting there was, was awesome. You know, and what I was really looking for, I didn't have a lot of Intel about the place. I got to speed scout it, you know, one September afternoon, I went out and spent like, yeah, from sun up to sundown scouting this, this, this piece. And I kind of earmarked a couple places on the GPS. And, you know, one thing I think I did right on that hunt was I didn't lock into a plan early necessarily. I left myself a little bit of flexibility. I knew roughly where I was going to go. And then whenever I got there the first day of the hunt, I basically scouted my way in and looked for hot sign. You know, and I basically, you know, followed a, a Dan Enfault method where I really kind of worked that three quarter of the way up the side of a mountain, you know, to where, you know, I was going to likely get if I were going to see deer, I, I, I would likely see bucks because hopefully they would be cruising that top third to hopefully scent check the the uh, the logging road that was below that you had to cross. Right. That was a bench that was below us right, or below my stand. So that was really kind of my game plan. And then once I got in there, I found a couple, you know, newly opened scrapes. I saw some relatively fresh rubs and I was like, okay, I think I'm in the right place. Now the climb up was not nice. No, <laughs> no, especially not right after you wake up in the morning. It's yeah. Like, oh. Yeah. It was, a, it was a straight up climb, a bunch of deadfall, green briars, belly crawling with a stand on my back, you know, cause I like to hunt mobile. So, I, you know, I take all my stuff in with me and then it comes out with me when I come out. So um, it was not a, uh, it was not a fun climb. This past year was, was even tougher, uh, of a hunt as we were more into, um, just really gnarly West Virginia style mountains with the same level of like understory that like literally I was bushwhacking my way through. I didn't take a machete. All I had was my, I had a wicked handsaw Yeah, and I was literally bushwhacking with a wicked handsaw, like, <laughs> you know, which you really wish you had a machete, you know, but, uh, I was making do cause I just didn't even think about it. Like it didn't even dawn on me that I should take something like that, but it was, you know, Chad warned me. He's like, it's going to be nasty. He's like, Oh, it'll be all right. You know, yeah, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. Yeah, good. I'm a man. Yeah. Like, <laughs> no, I totally could have used the machete. Yeah. It's like I was I was so, in trouble. So what made you change places from the first year to the second? Because um, you killed a pretty good deer I did. your first year there, didn't you? Yeah, so you know, normal logic would tell you you should go back <laughs> and try to do it again. Yeah. <laughs> but like I was saying, like we were talking about earlier, it's like I like I like new experiences. And you've you completed know. the one experience and it was time to do something right. different. And, yeah, and it was, you know, and truth be told, it's like I'm headed back to that previous spot this year. You know, I'm taking Chad there this year because um, Chad took me some somewhere last year, so I'm repaying, you know, him taking me to check out a new place and stuff like that. Um, but it was one of those things where, you know, I'm, I kind of guess look to do a couple things. Like one is I want a new experience. I want to see something new. And when he said, when he told me, because he, he warned me for probably six months, I think, to make sure that I absolutely wanted to hunt, hunt this place. Every time take I, that as a hint. Yeah. <laughs> every time I talked to him, he'd be like, you know, it's deer density's low there. Terrain's tough. Every time we talked. 
because like I said earlier, like we'd never hunted together. So he didn't know if I was going to get there and be like, this sucks. This is too tough. I don't want to do this, you know. So every time I talked to him, he'd be like, it's low deer density. Not going to see a lot of deer, but you might see the right one, you know. So I kind of knew going into it that it was, you know, I was getting from him like it's going to be a tough hunt. And so that from that moment forward, I was like, I want to do it. <laughs> like, I don't care how tough it is. I want to do it. Like, we'll go figure it out. You know, I'm, I'm down for the, I'm down for the cause. You know, it can't be physically any more difficult than I'm going to encounter in Montana. So physically I'll be in shape, you know, and ready to go do whatever I need to go do. Um, it was m- mentally taxing. Like that was a mentally tough hunt because you just weren't seeing deer. You know, I did eight all day sets. I think I hunted for nine days and I think I did seven or eight all day sets and I saw three deer in and I think the entire amount of time that I may have seen deer might have totaled five minutes, like where I actually had deer visible. Yeah, that's me. brutal. Yeah, you know what I mean? So, um, but I learned a couple things. One was in that scenario, I should have hunted way more aggressive than I hunted. I stayed too, I stayed too beholden to sign and intel that I had that wasn't the most recent sign and intel that I had, had seen. Right. So I kind of stay, I, I had made a plan and because I was unfamiliar with the area, you tried I was, to stick to it. I was no going to stick what. to my plan. Okay. You know what I mean? And it screwed, I screwed myself. Right. Um, I should have been a little bit more willing to get up and move whenever I wasn't getting action. Um, at some, at points I should have been willing to hike in just a little further than I did hike in. I mean, we hiked in plenty far enough, but you know, you always kind of, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? It's like I sit here and I double, I second guess myself and say, I should have hiked an extra half a mile. Would that extra half a mile made a difference? I don't know. You know maybe, I mean? maybe not. Maybe, maybe not, right? Or there was a day, the one, the one drainage I walked into the first morning, I saw a buck that came off the top of this mountain, right? It was this huge clear cut all around it. And I was like sitting there and I thought, I was like the next day, I was like, man, I should hike to the top of that mountain, I was like, I should put, I should put a stand up there. Didn't because I mentally I'm sitting here thinking I'm going. I bet you there's buck beds up there. That's what I'm telling myself, right? Never went to check it out until the last day. I pulled my stand. I was getting ready to leave, right? And I was like, you know what? I'm going to hike to the top of this mountain just because I want to see what's up there. Took my stand down, threw it at the bottom of the tree, hiked to the top of the mountain, found three buck beds. Oh, (laughs) yeah, isn't that a kicker? (laughs) (laughs) So it was one of those things where I knew. I knew in the moment that I should have been more aggressive, but I was just reluctant to blow up my plan because we had good deer on camera at these at these specific locations that I thought I should get a shot at if I just put in my time. And it just didn't work out, man. And those areas aren't tough to hunt, man. There's no ag. You know, it's all clear cut. It's basically your food source yeah. you know, for the most part. There's not any ag close by. Yeah, they it's, feed on the browse. Yeah, it's all and they've got more browse than they know what to do with. Was yeah. there any was there oak trees down there, any acorns? <clears throat> It was, yes, but it wasn't polluted. I guess I'll put I'll put it that way. Okay. And by that point, this was the second week in November. So, at that point, most of the easy to access, you know, drop would have is, is long gone. Yeah. Essentially, um, you would have had to do a lot more, uh, you know, messing around in the area looking yeah. to find those little pockets that may have had you know some left at that point exactly exactly and chad had a pretty good beat on things because he's hunted hunted it for a couple years you know um and so i felt confident in our in our plan we just both got smoked you know during the whole thing i mean it was odd because it was the middle of the rut and chad had does 
three different times, I think, a group of does bed within 10 to 20 yards of his stand that he could see and, like, no bucks checking them out. Wow. Zero. So it was just kind of odd. You're like, is it on? Is it off? You know, the typical, you know, with us archery hunters from the third week of October through the third week of November, is it on? I think it's over. Did I miss it? Is it right. early? I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's like, or, you know, yeah, exactly. It, but the funny thing is, though, is it happens the same time every year, like clockwork. You know what I mean? It's just whether or not it's visible or not is a different story. You know, does it happen at night? Sometimes it does. You know what I mean? Like the, the real peak. I completely agree with that. You know what I mean? Where it goes off. And it's the same thing, you know, when you're talking about, you know, uh, when you're talking about the the October lull, you know, people think that there's an October lull and it's like, well, no, like, I don't think there really is. Like the deer, the deer still have to do deer things (laughs) during that time. Right. It's like, they didn't just stop living. You know, they still have to eat. They still have to get water if. If oh no! It's October fifth. I better go into hiding. Right? Yeah. No. Exactly. That. Oh, they do that. Do that for Pennsylvania gun season, though. They do. I do believe that. So <laughs> never mind. <laughs> you know, it's it's just that they that they've now experienced some pressure. Their food sources have changed. You know what I mean? So now they're shi- they're shifting their ranges now to get ready for for rut, along with the fact that their food sources have changed, and you've introduced human pressure. Right, so it's like, yeah, they're not in those easy to find pinch points that you scouted in February and March that didn't matter because you're looking at sign for an entire calendar year, right? You have to go back and think about what you saw last October and where was the sign October fifth last year, because that'll tell you where the sign's going to be October fifth this year. You know what I mean? I we, I talked to Zach Farinbaugh about this because it dawned on me that that deer I killed in Ohio, that it was the second week of november i killed him near scrapes and he was coming through like to check scrapes i'm I'm dead sure of that and it was off the beaten path it was away from where you had seen other scrapes and i didn't see any historical sign like in that area when i scouted it earlier in the year i saw it all lower i saw it all on the bottom of that of that mountain and what we were he and i were talking about was almost like secondary scrape lines and that secondary scrape lines are really you know, let's take public land, for example, where you're hunting a piece of public land and say, you know, no one can see me because we're doing a podcast, but I'm using my hands to show a circumference. <laughs> Greg we're, was way worse, by the way. He was way, oh, he's, he was yeah. animated. He's throwing his arms uh, up. Yeah. But, so yeah. you're fine. <laughs> he gave me the thumbs up like five times when we did one. And I'm like, buddy, no one can see you. It's yeah. Okay. <laughs> but so if you start here and, and just say like the normal, normal public land hunter is going to come in to like where my hands are. They're going to, they're going to hike in a half mile okay. in all areas. That's saying it's just imagine it's a circle, right? Using my hands like Greg. And so that's kind of like where, you know, your initial deer sign is going to be, right? You're going to see the rubs that, that are there from where they were removing their velvet, right? Deer communicate all year round. So people that think that deer only open up scrapes whenever it's time to, for pre-rut, like there's a licking branch that gets used on the farm that I hunt that I have a camera near that I see all year round. It doesn't matter what time of year it is. They hit it. You know what I mean? I, I, I did a test last year where I ran cameras on scrapes in July with just using preorbital gland. Yeah. I put it right on the branch. I didn't mess up the ground or nothing. I got just as many boxes as if you'd put on a mineral site yep. that would come through and check that branch. They just yep. come up, rub their face in it and off they go. Yep. Exactly. So, so they're communicating all year round and that's yeah. what the scrape really is. It's them, it's them communicating. So so they're, they, all this sign is in this area. And so the 
early part of the season, like people want to hunt that area, right? Well, what are the deer going to do? They're going to move on. They didn't stop scraping. People were like, oh, these scrapes have closed up. They're done scraping. It's like, no, they've just stopped scraping where you're at because deer are still communicating, right? They've just now moved in. And like, what you do is like, if, you know, if, if you're still working off that circle concept, if you just start to move in past that half mile or whatever that is, where that first set of sign is, continue to move in. Like you're going to find your secondary scrape line and, and secondary sign. And that for anyone who's listening out there, it's uh, we are currently holding onto the table to keep the wind from blowing it away. We, yeah. We have storms coming <laughs> in and out, in and out the whole time, but we're, we're, we're holding strong. Everyone else is packing up their boosts, but we're going to, yeah. we're going to, we're going to hold Ooh, out. Watch out. Oh, yeah. We just lost a tent, just flipped over on top of Tim. <laughs> The tent just flipped over on our buddy Tim. And he can't stop it. It's blowing at him. Should we help him? Uh, No. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, we probably should help him. Yeah, we probably should pause this for a second. Hold on. Okay, we are back. (laughs) I'm back with Clint. And uh, we just picked up the booth that, that hit Tim... Bueno in the side of the head, basically, next yeah. door. We got, it, we got it tied down, and then my chair broke. Yeah, Clint sat on my booby trap chair, and it snapped on him. Yeah. So, yeah, we're, so we're that's where we're at. We're having a great podcast. <laughs> we just need the guys to start up the aerosol again. Yeah, and, exactly. Uh, rip through it, see what happens. Yeah. But <laughs> anyways. I don't remember what we were talking about. Secondary scrape lines, I think. Yeah. So I, I had uh, actually just listened to that podcast with you and Zach okay. on the way down here a couple nice. days ago. So that was an awesome podcast, by the way. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah. And anybody that wants to learn, especially about hunting public land and scouting public land, specifically from Zach. Ball, he is a wealth of information there from yeah. from the hunting public. So you can check out Clint's podcast, Truth from the Stand, to to find that. But yeah, that was that was extremely good information on yeah. that. It was one of those things bed. where it was crazy because he started mentioning it, and I was. It's one of those things that you see, but you don't really think about. Like you don't, like you see, and you and you might hunt it, but you don't put it in your mental rolodex as like something to like actively pursue. You know what I mean? And that was the thing I think that caught me off guard when he and I were talking because where I was like, yeah, I was like, that makes total sense. It's like, that's why whenever I'm scouting later in the year, I'm walking into a tree stand. It's like all of a sudden the scrape shows up like a mile into the timber that was never there before. You know what I mean? It's like, well, yeah, because all the pressures pushed them there, you know, and they didn't stop scraping. They stopped doing it where people were, you know? So... I mean, that's one of the, as you mentioned, that was one of the things I picked up in, in talking with, you know, Greg just kind of re-reminding me. And that was something that I kind of used whenever I was on that hunt in Ohio. You know, and that was something, honestly, that I didn't use this past year in Ohio. Um, you know, I used it the year before. This year, if I would have been smart, I would have used that information and and pushed further and, and been a little bit more aggressive. Because they're big proponents of hunting aggressive. Like, they're, they don't mind, you know, Zach will say he doesn't mind bumping deer. You know, yeah. no, he doesn't want to bump deer necessarily. And that's something that I think even, I mean, me, as he was saying it, I was just like, man, I just have a hard time coming to grips with that as that of that being okay. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But I get what he's saying because he's like, that's the best information you'll get is if you find where a buck is bedded and you bump him by accident, he, you know, he was like, you just now figured out like, that's the best Intel you'll ever get. Like, you know what that deer is you doing exactly that what he was doing. Then. Yeah. You know, and, and I think he made a good point and I kind of believe this too. As I've gotten older, I've started believing it more, you know, years ago, I probably would have believed it less, 
Um, but I don't think deer are as fragile as we think they are in terms of their tolerance for pressure. I think that they tolerate more pressure than we, than we think that they do. So I think if you bump a deer, a buck out of his bed today, doesn't mean he's not going to bed there two days from now or three days from now or whatever. Um, I think it depends on what type of bump he got, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, cause I know that he does a lot of wind bumping where it's like, they don't ever see you. They just catch a whiff of you and they blow out and they'll use that for access. Wind bump deer, get into the tree stand and then, and then wait. You know? Yeah. And, and, uh, one, there was a couple of points on there that I, I wanted to, to, to bring up that, that Zach was talking about specifically is I, I agree with, uh, with blowing them out. Not, I mean, not intentionally, but if you do right. from moving in too close, I agree with that because the only, th- the time I've, I've last couple of years, I've really struggled with it though, because I was hunting a specific deer and I really was so worried. I got it, it got in my head. I didn't want to mess it up, but you know, at this point it's going on a few years and I, I got to do something. Right. 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 <laughs> but, uh, no, I, I agree with that. And, and the other thing, as far as wind bumping, wind bumping does is something that I've done where in the big woods, I mean, there, there's doe bedding areas, but there's not, there's not too many that are specific. You know, they move around quite a bit, but there's this one area of blowdowns that I can think specifically that the doe were in there, they're bedding, there's beds all over in there. So I knew they were there a lot of times. I'll go in there in the morning and usually blow out a few of them and I'll climb up a tree right there because at some point a buck is going to come through there with the low deer density. These bucks are spread out and they'll come for a long ways to find does. So they'll come down and they'll check that area. You might only have one chance at it right. because you know you, you blew it out or you may have more. Right. But uh, still, usually you have one really solid chance at it. But when you when you blow those does out, they'll still come looking. Right. And, and you, you should be okay with it, you know? Yeah. Now, that was – I mean, I learned a ton. I mean, that's one of the things why I love doing podcasts, man. It's like I get to talk to guys like you and guys like Zach and, you know, whomever that we get to talk to. And I just learn a ton from those guys. Like the other thing that I took away, I've focused more in, like, the past couple of years of hunting, like, a specific deer. And – it's one of the things that he he doesn't do actually. Yeah. It's like he I he, admire that. Yeah, he'll have like a couple he'll have a deer in mind that he might want to get after, but if it doesn't work out in the first couple hunts, you know what I mean? It's like he's on to the, the next area and, and on to the next deer and he's like I'm a, you know, he's an equal opportunity, you know, <laughs> killer. Essentially, yeah. you know what I mean? It's like a deer that comes by that fits the criteria, it's like it's going to get an arrow, you know what I mean? Um, and that's something that I need to focus more on. Now, I think some of the places, like when you, you know, when you hunt Iowa, right, or you hunt, you know, Ohio or some of those bigger buck states, you, it's, I think it's easier to take that approach because you have a better chance of seeing another nice deer. Pennsylvania, it's a little bit different, as you know. You yep. know what I mean? It's like Very. there might only be, you know, like, it's just take the family farm that I hunt, like one of the family farms that I hunt some it's, there might only be one deer on the property that's like shooter, that's shooter count that fits my criteria of like, if I'm trying to help the age structure on the, on the property and stuff like that, there might only be one deer that I want to take off, you know what I mean? As far as a buck goes. And in you know, private versus public, that's a, that's a difference. Right. You know, and exactly. I would rather do that on public, be more aggressive than I would on private, especially if it's, you know, say you're only farm close to where, where you can hunt or whatever. You don't want to blow it out yep. completely. I, I mean, that's my opinion. Yeah. But on public ground, there's a lot more land. That's yep. why I love 
hunting public where I grew up is I can just keep going. I don't have boundaries, you know. Right. And, you know, and that's that's about that's it. That's the thing that I've I've appreciate about hunting public ground and it intrigues me so much cuz like the biggest thing for the one deer that I was hunting on the one property, it was he was bedding on the neighbors and I knew it. I just couldn't do anything about it. I could only get so close cuz I had to stay on our property, right? If that were public land, I could have went right to his bedroom yeah. and set up right outside his bedroom and wait till he got up in the evening to go feed and got him on his exit route. You know what I mean? It's like, and that's the difference between hunting public and hunting, hunting private. You know, it's, uh, you're kind of at the, at the mercy of the property lines and, and what, you know, what the deer are going to do. Cause they may not bet on your property. And then what are you going to do? You know what I mean? It's like, well, then you got to play the boundary game, you know, where on public it's, you just go get it. And that's why, and that's why deer hunting is so fun. Cause there's so many different situations, so many yeah. things you can do. And, and the big thing is taking a little bit from each and maybe pushing it into, okay, maybe take some tactics I learned in public to private. You're probably not going to be, be able to take everything and apply it. Right. But if you could take a little bit that you learn from this and a little bit from that and a little bit from that and apply it, then you become your own hunter that you're able to, to adapt and overcome whatever, you know, whatever situation yeah. that may be. I think, I think hunting public for me... I, I get. I know for certain that it's made me a better hunter, you know, because I think when you hunt private, and again, I hunt a combination of private and, and public, so it's not as though I'm demeaning, you know, private land hunting. You know, I think it's I think it's great, you know, and if you have the ability to, then hell yeah, yeah, of mean? course, <laughs> do it. Um, but I would definitely say like hunting a lot, hunting private a lot, in my opinion, and this is just me personally, dulled my ability to hunt to hunt it dulled my senses almost i didn't have to think anymore when i walked into the, when i walked into the timber on 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 certain private pieces that i've hunted for years i know where the good stands are at i know which stands turn on what time of, what time of year i know if i want to just doe hunt i know what stand to go sit in to, to arrow a doe i could do it almost any evening you know what i mean any afternoon that you want to I know, you know, this is a great morning stand here for early October. I know that this is going to be a great rut stand. Like, you already have, like, the entire property mapped out. You know what I mean? So there's not really any. Now you're just waiting to see which deer are going to be around. All right? Because there's only so many land features or terrain features. So there's so if you have three funnels on your property, well, deer are probably going to use those three funnels. Yeah. You know what I mean? If you have a saddle in the middle of a field, chances are they're going to use that as a crossing. You know what I mean? So it's like, so there's things like that that you kind of know. You know where the, all the historical scrapes are at, where the scrape lines open up first. You know what I mean? Stuff like that. So when you get to public, it's you. You may not always get to hunt the same spot all the time, for a couple for a couple reasons. One, the deer you're hunting might not be there, or where you saw the sign might not be in the same place you saw sign last year. The hot sign. You know what I mean? So you're constantly having to kind of change your game, which means you have to be attuned to watching for small details. You know what I mean? And that is the difference for me. Like, I became a better hunter when I started paying attention to the details. And I started paying attention to the details when I, became, when I started spending more time hunting public land. Because the details were going to be critical as to whether or not I was going to see shit <laughs> yeah. or see nothing you know what i mean so that was really you know for me it's it it absolutely made me a better hunter yeah so. no I, I i completely agree with that and just and that's why i mean you know guys like us guys that want to just challenge ourselves and yeah. go to different places and and 
I struggle sometimes with, you know, yeah, sometimes I do want to go to the, the same places oh, that I know yeah. and, and, you know, enjoy it. But it's just the, the whole, ed, you know, adventure aspect of I don't know what's over there. I don't know what these deer are go- going to do, but I want to figure it out. You right. Know? Yeah. I'm always, I'm real bad for like, especially scouting. I'll be, oh, it's just on the other side of this ridge. Let me check that out. Walk over there. I wonder what's over there now. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm real bad because it's like, I almost feel like I don't scout a specific little area. ADD kind of yeah <laughs> totally yeah, totally man it's i feel like i just don't spend enough time in one area to really learn it because i'm just so interested in what's on the next crest you know what i mean that i'm just constantly but i'll take that man because it's like i end up covering more ground you know i strike out plenty sure you know what i mean it's like i'll go sit public ground and not see any deer and but that's that's part of it you yeah 100 I mean? that's, that's the name that's you know you gotta sometimes you gotta take your lumps you know, and hopefully something, something good comes out of it. And eventually it, eventually it usually does, you know, or you'll have a light bulb moment where you'll see something and be like, ah, oh, I saw that same kind of, or that same type of, you know, uh, sign in a similar type a similar terrain over here too. You know, it's like, I wonder if the deer are using that piece the same as they're using this piece, you know, so you start to piece, but I'm, I, I agree with you. It's like, there are some days where I just want the easy. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Everybody has. Yeah. That. Where it's I, like, and I usually have one stand set up in a place that, you know, I think I might have a, you know, a good chance still, but that I don't care as much about that I can just go crawl into a ground blind or, right. or, you know, climb into a tree stand that I already have pre-set up yep. and just relax. That was actually how I killed my deer last year. Was it really? Yeah, I was, it was PA hunting on the East coast. A buddy of mine's family owns a small, excuse me, three acre parcel of land that uh, borders pri- or borders public ground, and I was I was just having a bad week, and I was like, you know what? I was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna hunt this week. I was like, but I'm not driving back home to the PA farm to hunt because the weather wasn't good, you know, to come back. So I was like, screw it, I'm just gonna go out to my buddy's place and, and hunt. Easy walk in, hang a stand and, and hunt. <clears throat> Didn't have anything pre hung, but it still was an easy walk in, like no big deal. Go out there, get in the stand, and. I set up my stand. It was crooked. It was like the worst hung stand like on the planet. I'm all I'm a, like it was one of those abnormally hot days. And I'm, yeah. covered, I'm like a sweaty mess getting into the stand. I'm like, shit's gonna bust me walking in here from like miles away because I smell so bad. Right? You're mad at yeah. that point, and you're like, why I'm am at, I doing this? I'm, this sucks. Exactly. You know? I'm like, it's why am I even here? This is stupid. Yeah, I should know better. You exactly. Know? <laughs> I'm like, I, I wore too many clothes. Like, yeah. This is dumb. So I finally get up in the stand and I'm pulling my bow up. Right. I couldn't get my stand as high as I wanted to get. That was the other thing. So I had to leave one of my sticks at the bottom of the stand, which was no big deal. But still, I'm like, oh, a stick laying down there. It's like probably has my scent on it because I'm all sweaty. You know, go to pull my bow up. My tow rope gets caught on my quiver and rips all my arrows out of my quiver except for one, which is the one that was like my backup arrow that I didn't want to have to use unless like... And the shit got real. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, well, shit, shit, got, shit real. got real. <laughs> so I'm in my stand. I knock an air and I'm just like, you got to be kidding me. I was like, this is the worst thing ever. My stand's crooked. I'm all uncomfortable. I was like, I'm not going to see anything anyway. And I'm already telling myself as I'm sitting there, I'm like, it was an evening hunt. I'm like, I'm going to sit here for like a couple hours. I might not even stay till dark. You know what I mean? It's like, I might just blow out of here and just be like, at least I can say I went and hunted today. You know what I mean? And that's something at least. You know what I mean? I'm sitting there. 
Not seen any deer, not seen any deer, not seen anything. Finally, a little doe pops out, and I was meat hunting because it's October. I was looking to fill the freezer. Mm-hmm. And so she just stayed. She was about 40 yards away, and I couldn't get a shot because she was behind some, some junk, and I just couldn't pull one off. So I thought, I was like, well, that was probably about it because it's getting on. It's probably 5.30, 5.45, so probably have another 45 minutes of light maybe, you know, 6.30 that time of year, yeah. 6 o'clock, something like that. I'm sitting there, and then I'll, Oh, right before that, a little buck rolls out right in front of me. Comes right in front of my stand. I, the, the tree I sat in was pretty good. Like, it was a little assassin's perch. Like, you could not see me in that thing at all. Like, I was completely covered up. And there was, like, some bushes around me. And then this little, like, grassy area. It was, like, swampy kind of. And then there were some trails behind me. And that's kind of, like, where I thought they would come from or whatever. Well, this little buck rolls in front of my tree stand at eight yards. Stops in front of me. Hits a licking branch. Just kind of hanging out. I filmed him for like three minutes. He never knew that I was there, and he walked off. You know, I was like, oh, I was like, that's cool. I was like, yeah. so I was like, if nothing else, if today turns out to suck the rest of the <laughs> the evening, I was like, at least that happened, and that was kind of cool. You know, yeah. So I'm sitting there, and ten minutes maybe goes by, and I just hear something crash. You know, not like crash, but like I could hear something moving. You know, and like fast, and I'm like, what was that? And I look over, and here's this buck, eight point, jumps out over this log and like lands on the ground he's got he's got green briars and just crap all stuck in his rack and i'm looking at him and i'm trying to decide if i'm going to shoot him or not and like the backstory to this was was that i was i was getting frustrated because i was hunting that deer back on the farm that was i saw opening day and couldn't get a shot at because he was with a group of deer and they and they walked off and i'd hunted that deer for two years and he's given me the slip five times and I was getting mad because I was looking at the forecast trying to find good weather weekends to go hunt him and all the weekends were just terrible and so I was getting mad because I wasn't going to get to hunt him and so that's kind of why I had a bad week and I was just like I'm going to go hunt I didn't take a camera or anything because I was like whatever and so as I was driving out there I just I was talking to myself you know or thinking to myself that you know why am I pinning all this stuff on hunting this one deer like why is like why am I letting that upset me and ruin the deer season for me? You know what I mean? Hey, next time you – not to mean – I don't mean to cut you off here, but next time you have those thoughts, just give me a call because I'm probably going through the same thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> talk each other off the ledge. Yeah. So I I'm, I thought to myself because I went to talk to my wife and she's like, just go hunt. She's like, just go hunt. She's like, and if you see a deer you want to shoot, she's like, shoot it. You know? And so I left and then I forgot my camera and I was all ticked off and so I called her and she's like – and I was like, hey, is my camera sitting on the, the dining room table? She's like, yeah. I was like, damn it. And she's like, just go hunt. She's like, don't take the camera. Don't take anything. She's like, just go get in a tree stand. So I did. And all the other stuff happened, which started off shitty, right? So this deer jumps out. And I looked at it, and I was like, he's the one. Wasn't the biggest deer on the planet. Didn't care. It made my heart pump, you know. And he walked to the side of me. And if he was going to walk behind me, I had made up my mind. If he walks behind me, I'm going to let him go. Because it wasn't a force. It was like 20 yards. But I was like, if he makes that turn, I'm going to let him go. I was like, but if he walks in front of me at eight yards like that little, like that younger buck did, I was like, then I'm going to arrow him. I was like, because that's a chip shot. And, like, I'm excited right now. You yeah. know what I mean? And that, yeah. So he exactly. walked in front of me at eight yards and stopped broadside. I didn't, have to, I didn't even have to mouth bleed him to stop him. He just stopped broadside. Uh, I let a ram cat eat, hit him, heart shot him. He ran 40 yards and piled up. And it was like, and I'm sure you felt this, you know, and it's, 
it was one of those things where it's just it felt like someone lifted weights off my shoulder. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where I was like, it was almost like a relief that I had killed a buck because now I don't have to go hunt for a buck anymore. I can just go hunt. That's like a bittersweet euphoria it is. that comes over you. You just feel, I don't know, I, I can't really explain the feeling without, you know, being in that moment. But as you're saying that, that's what I'm picturing in my head. I can picture a couple moments from this last season where that happened and I'm just like, you know, I thank just, you. It was weird. <laughs> it was one of those weird things because, like, I I shot him. I knew, I knew I had a good shot, you know, and he ran off and I heard him crash, you know, because he only piled up maybe 40 yards away. And I just sat back down on my seat. And I just put my head back up against the tree and I just sat there for a second, you know, and just like, and I could just feel like, and, it, and, it, and in that moment, I was just kind of like, why do I let hunting a single deer or hunting in general start to become something that makes me feel like that? You know what I mean? And it's like, this is something I enjoy. So I got to keep <clears throat> making sure that I, I'm doing the things in hunting that make me allow me to enjoy it and not necessarily heap all this pressure you know on yourself to kill a specific deer or to kill a certain size of deer or whatever the case is because all that stuff's bullshit do you think um for you personally is it is it you putting the pressure on yourself because of you know your goals and the way you like to challenge yourself or do you feel any external pressure at all as far as okay say you have the the podcast and you're talking about it and you're like no one's ever going to believe anything I say. And, and I, you, I see, you know, we're a lot alike and yeah. I, I don't try to act like I'm an expert. I'm no, not. No, I'm here to learn as much as I can from yeah. other people. And I just record it so everyone else can hear it too. Yeah. You know what no, I mean? hundred percent. And I'll share what I, what I think I know. Yeah. And you guys could all take that with a grain of salt. But. Right. <laughs> exactly. No, I'm the same way, man. It's like, I be the first in it. I don't know everything. I've learned some things and if some, you know, if, and it's awesome when someone reaches out to you and say, hey, man, I heard you say X, Y, and Z, and I used it, and I killed my first deer this year. It's like, that's awesome. Yeah. But I didn't do shit. <laughs> you know <laughs> what I mean? It's like, it's a, that's your deer, man. Like, you, yeah. you did the work, you know. Um, great if something I said sound was smart at one point. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> cool. But, I, you know, that's, uh, I don't like to take credit for those things, you know. Yeah. Um, but it's, to answer your to answer your question, so I think some of it's my own pressure, but you know, a little bit of it is because, you know, I do, I am a goal oriented person by nature, right? It's like, I know, you know, we know each other a little bit and I know that you like to work out and stay in shape and stuff like that. I'm the same way. So I have goals in that regard that I like to reach certain milestones and have certain criteria for myself. And I'm a checklist guy. So like even on the weekend, weekend, man, my, I have a calendar, my calendar is full and every hour it goes off with something else I need to do. It's like, I'm that regimented, you yeah. know what I mean? It's like, um, just cause I'm super forgetful, you know what I mean? So it's like, it's how I remember things, you know? Um, but I do think that, you know, I don't ever consider myself to be part of the, you know, outdoor industry necessarily. Um, you know, I, and maybe I am, I mean, I have a podcast, sure. So I guess I am to a certain degree, but you know, I don't make my living that way. So I have some flexibility well, you and freedom. Don't. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so I don't ever like to say I'm in the outdoor industry because I think those are guys that like that that that's how they make their living. That's how they feed their families. Like to me, that's working in the outdoor industry. You know, I I, I play in the outdoor industry. You know, I guess I guess you could say, but I do think that there is a, a level of pressure that comes with having a podcast and and stuff like that. Like that probably is isn't real that I probably make up. You know what I mean? Because 
you know, does anybody, no one has ever said anything to me that listens to the podcast, like has ever said anything to me that I won't believe a word you say unless you kill a big deer. No one's ever said that. But for some reason, I internally think that to a degree, if I'm not able to put some of the things I talk about, some of the practices I talk about into action successfully, then what's the validity? Yeah. You know? And, and it's again, a that, that comes wrong. back to your analytical side. Yeah. Where you're like, okay, to prove something, you need to have results. Right. 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 Which is complete horseshit. <laughs> it <laughs> is. Um, the other part of it, too, is is that I think that we have, you know, a very interesting time and space with, um, you know, the advent and the increased use of, of social media, you know, where I think that... Um, I think there's a lot of false prophets on social media, if that's a fair way to say it without being a jerk. You know what I mean? No comment. <laughs> or maybe that was a jerk. I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, I think that we have a, I think there's a lot of Insta heroes, Instagram heroes, you know? Um, and, and I think that there's a lot of, you know, deer envy that happens on social media because like this guy killed a giant here, you know, and then all of a sudden that becomes the standard, you know? Yeah. It's like, you know, because if you look in your social media feed come like October 10th, it looks like everyone but you is killing a booner. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, and that shit just ain't true. Yeah. You know I delete I mean? them right there. <laughs> yeah. So they, so they kill a booner. I'm done with you. Yeah. It's like, you're no longer my friend. Um, you know, so I think that that's a challenge, too, that I think that we have to deal with. And I think that as, as much good that social media can do for connecting people, I also think that it's already is in becoming even more so a tool for of divisiveness um and especially at a time whenever there's a lot of important things going on in the hunting outdoor conservation kind of community um i think it's important that we try to minimize those things as much as possible and reduce the pressure on each other man it's like no one has to kill anything to to be a good hunter there's i know steve bartilla said this to me one day he's like there's he's like there's more great hunters in the state of Pennsylvania, he's like probably than most other states that don't kill a deer but once every couple years. He's like, because that's a hard freaking state to hunt. You know what I mean? He was like, you know, and this is a guy who's written books, you know, has TV show, like he, well respected, you know what I mean, by almost any hunter you would talk to, um, deer hunter that you would talk to, habitat specialist, like, you know, just a wealth of knowledge. And, you know, there's very few places that those caliber of deer can be, can be killed, you know, and if you don't live in one of those places, it's a real challenge. Not saying that it can't be done. And if that's a goal you have, then more power to you, man, like knock it out. Um, but don't let that be the thing that drags you down. Yeah. You know what I mean? I guess would be what I, what I would say, because look, I'm in the same boat. I'm not killing booners either. It's okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I have to continually convince myself of that. You know? Yeah. No, I, 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 I fall into the same trap and it's when you see these things on social media, like you said, people kill on deer all the time, but what it seems like all the time when in reality, it's a very, very small percentage that are doing that. It's just what shows up on your feed yeah, because that's what you, you know, you, yeah. you're looking for, I guess what Instagram tells you you're looking for. Yeah. But so that like, like you said, I, I think there's a lot, a lot of positive things from social media and, you know, you and I wouldn't be sitting here talking if it wasn't for that. You yeah, know, I exactly. wouldn't know Tim. Oh, actually, yeah, I met Tim at Train to Hunt, so he's, right. he's off the side. But, uh, <laughs> um, but there's, there's so many good things with it. 
but there's so many false things. So what I try to do when I post things on there, because I, I, I do post You do things. a great job posting stuff too, by the way. Well, thank you. Yeah. But I try to think about it before I do it and be like, why am I posting this? And not just because, you know, I'm trying to stroke my own ego or, you know, I'm trying to get this person to, you know, Pay notice it. To yeah. Or I'm trying to get this many followers. If I wanted, if I wanted to, to blow up the social media page, I'd post for hunting. I'd posted nothing but uh, hero shots, trophy shots. Yep. Oh, they get a million, you know. Yep. But you could have a really awesome photogenic, you know, photo that you did all this work on, cool angles. And it's like doesn't get that much, you know. But I would rather show that because that's more the person I am and than, you know, a thousand trophy shots that you go through there. Yeah. That's all part of it. But I want to show the whole experience because my whole my – whole, basically my whole life revolves around hunting in some respect and i don't want i don't want to just show the end thing because there is a giant process with it it's a year-round process and and within that obviously you need to juggle you know family and and everything else but from a hunting perspective alone you really you really need to i believe anyways that you need to show the whole experience to to because because social media is public and other people are seeing it, and we need to, as hunters, we need to have a tasteful, you know, image, I guess. And and you know, you know, I'm not apologizing, you know, for being a hunter type right, deal. Yeah. But it's it's the reality we're in right now, and we need to do that. So. Right. hundred percent. I hundred percent agree with you, man. I think I think that you have to be super mindful in those spaces where you only have small moments to communicate something. So Facebook. Instagram, Snapchat, whatever kids are using today. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, I think what is super important because you're hundred percent right. Like it's so hard to talk about that process in 140, 150 characters or, you know, an image and however much text someone will read within a Facebook post or an Instagram post. Right. That's why I think these longer form content pieces like podcasts, like we're doing, you know, or effective blogs, people who have good, you know, blogs that are really well thought out and good sending the right message i think are important because to me that's where you get the immersive kind of you know experience and process because to me it's all about it's all about the process right if you give yourself up to the process it will make you better at almost anything you know i was just talking to i think it was actually i was listening to uh joe rogan actually he had donnie vincent on recently And I'm partway through that right now. You're partway now. through that, okay. Yeah. So I won't give you any spoiler alerts, but... No, but you're, uh, you're good, too. But, uh, you know, I think that um, the one thing that they kind of touch on a little bit is, like, how value... I shouldn't say they. Joe Rogan has many times touched on, as he is what I'll call newer to hunting, right? How much, as a new hunter, his perspective, being able to see how valuable hunting can be and the process of it in helping you become a better person. Like, undoubtedly, he's like, I, he knows that he's becoming a better person because of the process of hunting, Yeah. right? It's the more, it's, you have to take a more mindful approach, especially bow hunting. Like, that's really where he kind of like, I guess, kind of draws the line to a degree. He's like that intimacy with the animal, that approach you have to take, the strategy that it takes, the thinking it requires, the planning it requires. He's like, how can you not become a better person when you have to think through all of that? Because all it does is teach you how to think about different perspectives. 
And so that makes you more effective about thinking about just almost anything. If you, if we disagreed about hunting, for example, right? Say, say I was a non-hunter and you were a hunter, but, but let's, let's reverse this for a second. Let's say you were a non-hunter, a vegan, right? Okay. Which I, I am. Which I am. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and, and I was a hunter, right? If what Joe Rogan was saying is partially true, and I do believe him, is that if I've gone through and I've kind of understand how to kind of under, tear apart details and dissect things and have perspective on things, I can sit here and, and talk to you, talk to someone who's a non-hunter, and put myself in their position, because that's constantly what we do when we hunt. You put yourself in the animal's position, because you're trying to think like they think. You're trying to think, what are they going to do next, right? So if I can do that to hunt deer... Why can't I do that to have a conversation with a person, right? See, stands the reason, right? The reason why you can't or why people can't is because their egos get in the way. They want to be right more than they want to be. They want to be right more than find the right solution, right? Yep. And so, I think he's absolutely right. And, and and the more people that recognize that, you know, and understand like the tools that hunting are giving them to not just hunt, but to actually be better humans. Like that's a powerful thing, you know, and if we can figure out a way as hunters, how to, how to package that and I'll say market it, even though I hate saying that word, you know, you're a marketer. Though. I am a marketer by trade, you know, which, <laughs> you know, makes me want to throw myself in front of a train some days, but it's okay. Um, do it. You won't. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, if we could package that somehow and market that to the masses, like that's a powerful tool, you know what I mean? But it's not sexy. Yeah. You know, so yeah, no, no, you're right, and and the the craziest thing with um as as far as what we were saying with with Donnie and and Joe, how they they really articulate. Yeah, Joe Rogan has been an amazing voice for hunting. Amazing, and then, yeah. And then you add Donnie Vincent and everything he does. I, I had a Facebook post last week. Uh, I shared Donnie Vincent's article in Men's Health, and I'm like, everything he touches turns to gold. Yeah, because it, it is. Yeah, it, it should. He just be. has a really honest and true perspective. You yeah, know what I mean, it's like there's he. I didn't know this about him, but he's a wildlife biologist. Like I had no clue that that was his, you know, educational background or whatever. And he spent time in a, like a jungle and like. Asia, like studying tigers. Yeah. You know what I mean? And he was in the Arctic studying like polar bears and stuff like that. Like he's an interesting guy. He's legit. (laughs) You know what I mean? And it's, um, and he's just a really well spoken, thoughtful person about things. You know what I mean? Like that's, and that's the thing, like that's the thing as hunters that we have to remember. It's like, we, like we're such a small group in the grand scheme of things, right? That we can't, we can't be the, screw you, I'm going to do it my way group. It just isn't going to work. Like, we have to be able to have conversations with the people who disagree with us in an intelligent and meaningful way. Otherwise, we're fighting a losing battle. Yeah. And guys like Donnie Vincent are ones who can do that. Because if you listen to those guys talk, it's like they can continually put themselves in, in the opposition's shoes and say, I might not agree with you, but I understand why you would think that way. Mm-hmm. But here's, here's why I think you might be led astray. And let me explain it to you. Like, that's how you approach that. Not, well, that's not the way it is. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's like, did you ever like whenever you got in trouble when you were a kid and you asked your dad, why why'd you ground me? He says, because. No. That's the shitty answer. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, that's, that's called an answer that someone didn't think through. You know what I mean? Yeah. It doesn't really have an answer, right? When you say, you know what? 
these are the three reasons why I ground, grounded you. You may not agree with them. If you can't come up with them, I'm not being grounded. Right. I, that's <laughs> done all there, so. I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, it's that. It's like, that's, it's the nanny nanny boo boo approach to a conversation. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, and we got to stop having those. And know? okay. So the, the biggest thing that I struggle with personally, and I'm very open about this is when someone puts a negative comment online, uh-huh. I, I have to just get off, you know, Instagram yeah. or whatever it is go away from a little bit then come back and look at it and then i'll either not respond or sometimes i try to respond but with a thoughtful way of doing it not just going back at it because my first thing is you know your ego jumps in right away right away right away and i'm like i'm gonna prove this guy wrong he needs to get off my page right that that type of thing and i'm like no and that's what happens as you grow and and learn with it you know because you know, ask me three years ago and I would have jumped all over that person, you know? Exactly, man. Exactly. But and it's we, full of hate. Out but there, I know man. we can't, you can't do that. You know, it's just, you can't, I, I do see some people that are in the spotlight that really fight back and forth with people on there. I just get a, a distaste in my mouth about it, you know? Well, I mean, this is a thing Like you can't have a ration, you can't fight rationally with irrational people, you know? And the folks who are making those comments, like their life sucks. Yeah. That's, why they they're trying to they're they hate their job they hate their spouse they hate where they live i think joe rogan said this in like a podcast yeah. like one time he was like and the only recourse they have is to try to make you feel just as shitty as they do yeah you know what i mean and it's like and, and that's how they feel that's how they feel better that's how they feel empowered you know what i usually do is i just i i usually don't pay attention to them honestly i've i had one post that blew up it was actually when we were in uh montana on the elk hunt and my buddy shot that that bull and we caped that bull out on the side of the mountain uh quartered him up i made a little bonfire a little a little fire we put some backstrap on a stick we ate backstrap as we were butchering the bull on the side of a mountain and my buddy made an amazing shot in 10 ring the heart you know what i mean and to where like you could see the 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 broadhead like symbol logo in the heart like where it came through or whatever yeah. and i posted a picture on instagram of it was it the most tasteful picture i don't know like I, I guess you could debate whether or not that was a good picture for me to post or not but i didn't say anything negative necessarily right and it wasn't you know so that's neither here nor there at this point but at any rate yeah i, I and I, I don't remember the post specifically but i don't think you you know Held the you know the heart up. Look at this! I killed him. You know he's dead now. Right, you know, it, was, it, it wasn't was, that type. Right, of a, right. I, I think it was like ten ring. You know, yeah. whatever, whatever broadhead. You know, yeah. something. And uh, he, uh, I got a ton. So that post still to this day is the best performing post I've ever had, to the tune of almost like two hundred thousand in reach, which is stupid. Really? Yeah. And I must have got on like the pedal list or something like that man because i had all kinds of people jumping in just like slamming me like just killing me yeah i never said one thing to any of them like ever right because that's what they wanted right and i wasn't going to have a conversation with people who were irrational you're not going to sway them one way no they already have their mind made up and they just want to attack and they want to get you fired up so they can be fired up and then they can go to sleep at night yeah exactly yeah it's the only post i've ever commented back on wasn't even my own it was someone else was being attacked about and they were talking about conservation and they were talking about you know just let these animals live blah 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 i forget i forget who killed what animal at this point i don't remember what it was um 
And I basically just, my post back was basically just dropping some knowledge about some statistics in terms of conservation and what keeps animals alive and what helps habitat improvement and things of that nature, right? To where, and I kind of, I sent some links as well saying like, hey, if you would like to read for yourself, it was, it was Africa actually. And they were talking about why can't you just let these animals, like they, most people don't understand that the only value that animals have in Africa and in many places is the value to hunters because otherwise they are a nuisance to those who live there. They'll be poached. And they will be poached or they will just be killed to get rid of so they don't ruin their crops or if they're lions, eat village members, you know what I mean? And stuff like that. So they don't realize the value. Do you think a lion cares, you know, about anything? No. It just kills. That's what it's meant to do. It's, he's, That's he's an apex predator. It's life. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So my post back was just basically dropping knowledge on like you should check out like where most of the people, most of the income for this particular country in terms of, you know, their gross GDP comes from, you know, to a degree as far as, uh, as far as managing wildlife rather, um, you know, and, and how hunting sales affects that. And then take a look at the U.S. and just recognize how hunting license sales impacts the amount of dollars that go to state agencies to do the work. So you can go out and see wildlife without contributing. You know, and then I pointed them, of course, to Shane Mahoney's website because that guy is just like a boss. Oh, so. yeah. <laughs> yeah, anything he says, too, I have to listen to. Yeah, you know? yeah exactly. He, he He's helped me out a lot by listening to him on a few different podcasts. But Yeah, for sure. Anyways, well, Clint, we've spent quite a bit of time here yeah. going through stuff but had an awesome conversation yeah dude i could i could go probably all night on on these different topics and and i'm glad that we went a little bit different route than i thought we were going to yeah and i like it yeah i, I like that where we went and, and talked about these things because they need to be talked about yeah for and sure. uh i hope that helps some people out but so first of all is there anything else that you'd like to cover um no man, I think uh, I think I think that's it, man. It's like I, I look forward to having you on the the Truth from the Stand podcast soon, so we can give uh, all those folks out there listening a, a taste of what uh, East meets West is doing. Talk a little bit about mountain bucks, maybe mountain bucks. Yeah. That's what I like. A little mountain bucks. We'll, we'll probably slip in a little elk hunting too. Don't ask me any tactics because I haven't killed anything. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't put any pressure on yourself. I could tell. Listen, I, I could tell you how to plan a hunt. Right? Yeah. <laughs> now, now finish it. I'm great at planning. Yeah, I don't finish anything. No, right. right. Well, a few things, but I'm not right. going to get into that. <laughs> right. But, uh, anyways, uh, so I, I have one last question for you. So, how how would you define adventure? Hmm. Adventure. I would say. For me personally, or just in general? Answer it however you would like. However I would like? Yes. However you take that question. Adventure for me is the thing that happens, I think, between my ears that allows me to gain new perspective that I didn't have before. Um, You know, I think oftentimes we seek adventure when sometimes adventure is in our backyard. You know, uh, or or it's on a train ride, or it's in a book, or so. You know, I think for me, as I've gotten older, it's like I've started defining adventure a little bit differently because I I recognize that I have the ability to create the adventure. You know what I mean? Like I don't have to I don't have to travel thousands of miles to do it. It's fun. I like it. I've done it. I look forward to doing it again, right? But if that's the only way you can find adventure that's then you're not having enough of it yeah man that was an awesome answer 
I, I like that. No, that's a, a great way of thinking of it. And yeah, that's that, that's awesome. So we'll leave it at that. But what I want to ask is where can people find a little bit more about you and what you're doing with Truth, Truth from the Stand? Sure. So uh, Truth from the Stand uh, Deer Hunting Podcast is uh, on iTunes, Stitcher, you know, Google Play, anywhere you can find a normal it or normal podcasts. Uh, there's also the Truth from Truth from the Stand dot com blog that I do a little bit of writing there once in a while. It's, it mainly has the the podcast on it, so you can go there and listen to it as well um, and check out some some writings. There's a lot of archived writings on there from from years past to check out. Um, of course, I'm on Facebook and Instagram. And then newly starting, I don't know if I even told you this, but uh, I'm doing skull uh, uh, European mounts. Yes, yes, so, yes, we did talk So about that's that. all on the website too, so that's coming this fall. I've got a colony of beetles that are cleaning skulls now and uh, Heck yeah. prepping for the fall. So anyone who needs a, a skull cleaned, you can go there and find all the information. And uh, there's shipping, they'll be shipping directly. I'll be sending you so. my elk skull. There you go, dude. I'll do it up. Heck yeah. Awesome. Let the Beatles go to work, man. So, all right. Hey, again, thank you for having me. Thanks on for having here. me, man. So I appreciate it. Let's head over to the, the BHA after party here and grab a couple of drinks. I what like the party. All right. Let's party. Let's do it. <laughs> See ya. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.